Christine Feaster is a stop-motion animator and horror director whose shorts and music videos have won Best Horror Short at the London Shorts Film Festival and been named official selections at the Bucharest Shortcut Cinefest and Final Girls Berlin Film Festival. Her prop fabrication has been commissioned for season three of M. Night Shyamalan's series Servant, a world builder with a keen sense of horror, humor, and the mystical aspects of the human condition, Christine graciously invited me to her studio in upstate New York recently. Before you listen to our conversation, you can learn more about her work and see her shorts at www.christinefeaster.com. Welcome to The Root Cellar. Thank you, Christine, for having me to your studio today. I appreciate it. Of course. It's a pleasure to have you. I'd like to start off by asking you how you would define your work. It's kind of a mixed bag of haunted, cursed objects. Everything that I do, I describe as handmade. Um, Everything is, it's the final product of most of my work is the animations themselves. And so a lot of the sculpture work I do to get there is really just for that end product. So for me, a lot of it is just as small detail as possible is the most important thing <laughs> that there is on the screen. So, and the, everything has to be moving and shimmering, which means everything in each frame has to be handmade. So when we say handmade, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've looked at um, a couple of your pieces that were really standing out to me this morning, Skipping Out and also Ghoul Log. And I was really impressed by the, even the smallest level of detail was so thought out and so just perfect for the experience. So you're doing all of this yourself? Everything. Okay. Um, so Skipping Out is actually just a little segment of a feature film that I've been working on for about six years that I'm, I currently had to put on hold because it just became too overwhelming on top of all my other jobs. And that's the thing about being a you know, freelance artist is that often I'm called away for other jobs. And suddenly when I get back to my work, it can be six months, eight months later, and my skill level is substantially higher than it was last time I was touching my project. (laughs) So it's a strange thing where suddenly you're looking back at this footage that you did four years ago that you're still actively trying to work on, but you're no longer even happy with the puppets because you're now on to a new, more exciting, more beautiful looking puppet. (laughs) So from that series, I'm trying to then encapsulate little moments like skipping out. And um, But yeah, for everything, each frame is handmade. So so for the feature, it's funny because sometimes people will still reach out and say, is it out yet? Is the film done yet? And often, as annoying as this makes it sound, I have to quote Carl Sagan to them and say, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first construct the universe. <laughs> I like that. That's, I like that because you are constructing universes. And yeah. That's, that's wonderful. It's it's hard to kind of let people understand the grasp of what that means of Sometimes it's like, okay, go watch a film and stop on any frame, look at every person, every set, 
every object that they're holding, every article of clothing. I'm making everything. <laughs> that's interesting because in a film, right, it's a sizable crew that's involved mm -hmm. with that. There's an individual or several individuals for each of those details, and all of those are falling to you in this kind of production. Exactly. You've mentioned doing freelance work that maybe uh, ups your skill level mm -hmm. or, or opens new doors for you, and then you're going back to a more long-term project that you're working on. Do you tear it up and go back to the start? Do you keep with what you've done? That's been kind of a struggle. I, during quarantine, finally just had to take a moment and step away from the project um, because I did, I just got to a point where though I was able to kind of change, it's the feature film is half live action and half animation. So I have all of the live action segments and a lot of it was just um, figuring out the best way to animate it smoothly together. The trickiness comes from growing so much, both yeah, with my skill levels and with where I am, in that I wrote the script when I was 20, and mm -hmm. that's no longer even close to being where I am at, at, at any rate. And so it got to a certain point where it's like, okay, well, I can animate these new segments, kind of add to this film where I am, add new layers to it, it's new storylines, make it what I want. And I just reached a point of thinking, no, I need to just make a couple shorts that are actually indicative of where I am right now and be more excited about it. Yeah, it just got to a point where I put so much pressure on, on myself as like this feature, once this is made, this will be the thing that people will see and identify with me. And then it got to where I was like, that's not even the project I want <laughs> people to see and identify with me. It's not where, not where I am. But for uh, yeah, a lot of the jobs that I get that have led to uh, me passing that point is um, I do a lot of fabrication for for films, so a lot of prop fabrication. So anytime anyone's working on a project, I'll get these amazing calls of like, hey, Christine, do you think you could animate a like, sex sequence with, with a tiny doll that comes out of a painting? <laughs> like, do you think you could make a tiny model out of popsicle sticks of the Wizard of Oz house? Just these very specific jobs that every time when people come to me, I'm just so excited and honored to be a part of. And each one of those, it's yeah, I, I try to use new materials or try to use new techniques, even if they, it wasn't asked of me, just so that each project I'm working on can build and, and be a part of a bigger thing for me and a bigger learning process. You just have the problem and it's up to you to solve the problem? Is that how it ends Usually, up? Usually. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, this one we have right here, this life-size puppet that's for a project that I was called in to make her body suit. So it looks like she has a body under her clothing and her animating shoes and a wig for her so it just it, it's a, such a wide range so it's impossible to say no to any job because they're all so fun and so different <laughs> could you walk me through how you think about a, a problem yeah um a lot of it is just kind of i'm constantly trying to teach myself new techniques and and really kind of master all of the both craftsmanship skills that i have and also just as many materials as I can master is always a thing that's really exciting to me so when i get a project a lot of the first steps are kind of figuring out what what the actual material is going to be and going from there and so if it's going to you know be a hard base or a soft base and what the specific you know often these things come with specific instructions about what they need or what they don't need for this piece and um so you're kind of yeah you're starting out in this box and trying to figure out how to weave your way out of it <laughs> and you know make something both that you're excited about and that fits all the requirements met for it so i usually do rough sketches often those aren't even shown to the production teams of the films because they're not good sketches. They're <laughs> it's more just like me making kind of almost patterns for, for what I will be making. And 
yeah, if I were to show in my horrible drawings, I, you know, they would not have me go to the next steps. <laughs> yeah, so it's all just kind of mapping out for myself so that when I then approach them again and have the ideas sought out, I can usually have both a couple material tests to show them or a couple different options so that they can kind of see what they actually need for their uses. When you get to the stage of showing your work, is there a lot of back and forth there? It really depends. I do a lot of work with a few production designers and a few art directors who very much know my style. And so that is always very helpful and that almost there's no comment. They know that they're going to get a weird, creepy art piece back and that's what they want. And that's why they asked me to do it. So so that's usually less back and forth than if it's a, a new client or a new person for the first time. For the piece I mentioned where... It's like a man coming out of a painting. That one, had, there was a lot of back and forth because I created the doll, but it had to be based on this woman's uh, portraits that she'd made. So there's a lot of back and forth just about subtleties of the facial expressions and about just minute details like that. But overall, it's I try to send some progress pictures unless I have such a good idea that I just send the end result because I know that that's what they wanted. <laughs> so yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty wide range. But for my usual clients, it's, you know, they... They just want the creepy art pieces. So. <laughs> they know what they're getting. Exactly. That's, that's, that's excellent. That sounds like a good relationship to yeah, have. It's, yeah, it's really incredible. I'm thinking about Gulag. Mm -hmm. Could you tell me a little bit about how that came to be? And, and the Yeah, so that was actually a really fun project. That was It was at a time in which I was really invested in my feature and um, kind of drowning in that. And suddenly I got an email from a woman who I had a few animator friends in contact with and she was reaching out because she does a christmas advent calendar well it's called creepy christmas but it's an advent calendar where each day of december uh, she releases one of the new uh, creepy films mm. for the festival and there was a like russian roulette of what your word was what christmas themed word you had to go off of this all sounded really exciting to me because like i do also with music videos that i do it's fun to just kind of take a break and be like okay these next three months i'm gonna just focus on making a really strange wonky piece and it'll just be done and it will be a new complete process and and you know when you're working on something for so many years it's really exciting to have these times of like okay something's gonna has to be done for this festival so so the deadline is there and so I got my word, which was Eulog. And I just was so excited. I, For me, I'm a horror director. But f the most interesting thing to me are just tiny horror moments. So even though that film is a strange film about cannibalism, <laughs> the ho most horrifying moments to me are all the chewing. <laughs> because that's something that to me is a horrifying. I hate hearing people chew. I can't stand the sound of it. And so the the brashness of going back and forth, and I had a really fun time editing that, almost like a quilt of these moments that are meant to make you kind of jump and just their discomfort of just mouths chewing, which were all my mouths in, <laughs> in different costumes. So a couple of gross days of eating radishes and, and prosciutto <laughs> for a couple hours. Just kind of let myself just go wild with it and, and have fun and that was the first piece that I really allowed myself to do something so dark and since have been really excited about delving further into that. <laughs> the chewing scenes, they definitely stuck with me <laughs> afterwards. And I also was just really impressed by the teeth. The teeth were just fantastic. <laughs> and the seamless 
face or is that so, an actor's face or actress's face or is that the the dolls and then i watched it a second time I'm like oh i'm pretty sure and i was really impressed by the smooth transition between the two thank you i also though was taken with the hands and i'd i'd love to know why you made the hands the way you did the look of the hands they're just monstrous yeah thank you so much <laughs> Yeah, hands are definitely a big part of all my work. They're always oversized. I just love both that feature and also makes it a lot easier. It both makes it easier to animate. It means you can have a lot more close-up small scenes of just the hands and the small motions of hands. And until the current iteration of projects I'm doing now, which involve replacement faces, that was the closest I had to movement in my characters. And so I kind of liked the idea at the time, particularly of having the hands yeah, be the only sort of expression that you see because the faces did not move past a chewing movement. And so that was where you could kind of get the, the full effect of their movements. But I've done so many iterations of hands. I've started, though the hands for Gulag are clay with wire in them. Since I've done, I have some that are roving wool, like finger felted. And then I have others that are silicone. So I'm constantly experimenting with hands and trying to <laughs> make them as nice and creepy as possible. But their largeness is always an important factor to me, definitely. <laughs> Do you find you, you pay a lot of attention to people's hands generally? or Yes, okay. absolutely. And also, I primarily consider myself a hand worker. Everything I do is by hand. I Also, one of my full-time jobs is I work for a sculptor doing um, beading and weaving and handwork. So yeah, the whole textile part of my work is incredibly important to me. And also, it's just kind of a point of pride as for women, a lot of the arts that we've traditionally been involved in with acceptance have been handwork, have been knitting, crocheting, a lot of things that are sewing, a lot of things that a part of the reason why it became so popular among women is because it's things that you can stop, put down, and go do all the billion things you have to do before you can come and pick it back up. And it's exactly the way it was when you left it. <laughs> so I love to incorporate. So for me, yeah, hands are just the bell of the ball. <laughs> the bell of the ball. I like that. That's nice. I've been, always been a maker and a sewer. So when I was, my mom is an um, interior designer. So when I was three or four, I started learning to sew. <laughs> and... I always knew that I was really interested in that and really interested in materials. By the time I got to high school, I was like drying clementine peels to make gowns out of cl dried clementine peels and saving everybody's life water wrappers so I could make a very provocative recycling gown <laughs> about, <laughs> about life water. <laughs> then when I got to college, I kind of put it all on the back burner at first and kind of wouldn't let myself get too far down any art path as I wanted to be more serious and mm -hmm. studied human rights, religious studies, and then eventually got into film and religious studies as my majors. At first, it was just through documentary work. I became really interested in, in that as a way of kind of combining my interest in being creative and yeah, doing something more productive that, that I felt at the time. I loved animations as a child, but I'd never expected to get into it. And then, yeah, during college, when I had a professor who became a mentor, Peter Hutton, he introduced me to all the greats of stop motion animation. And it just kind of from there became so clear that it was the perfect combination of all my interests. <laughs> um, so my senior year at college, I did a thesis project that was an animated documentary. And it's I could don't even know if I'd be able to watch it now, just 
<laughs> and it being such an early stage of me learning how to do all of these things and the first dolls that I'd made for animation and all of these things that since then it's such a horse of a different color. So it's, yeah, it's always strange to look back on the earlier work, but once I kind of allowed myself to realize that this is what I'm good at, <laughs> that it's okay that handworking and the, you know, understanding textures and textiles is a path that I'm allowing myself to take. I was really excited to jump into it. But for horrors, I it took me a while. I'm I, I'm a big horror fan. Always have been. Dracula was my first work. <laughs> but Three Jaws was my favorite movie. I knew what I liked from an early age. But for some reason, I just never felt comfortable creating it myself. And I think a lot of that was, you know, even with... When with Gulag that had a couple of screenings um, that debuted out the original festivals online, but um, it was a part of a few gallery shows. And at each of these shows, people come up to me afterwards and say, "Well, you are not what I expected. This, this isn't who I expected to make this." <laughs> and that's kind of had what always been what I felt that you know I'm this a, a small woman with curly hair and always smiling and so to, to me. To make, you know, these dark, really dark things, I think it was unexpected at the time, but it's just so much more interesting to me. And especially with these, like, small horror moments, these, like, small devastating moments are so much more exciting to me than huge, gruesome anything. <laughs> How does it feel to get feedback like that, that you're not what, what they expected? At first, it was a little disheartening just because I didn't really know what that meant or how to take it or, you know, it's in some ways, I guess, a compliment to think that I'm not what someone would expect to make a cannibalistic tale, but in other ways, why not? (laughs) (laughs) My work is so niche and so strange that I'm never discouraged by any remarks, really. I mean, often people say it and see see some things and say, what was that? What did I just see? My eyes can't believe what I just saw. Are these shocked reactions and for me, that's just as good as hearing that someone loved it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not for everybody, and that's totally fine because, of course, it's not how could this be. <laughs> I have to tell you, I love Dracula too. That was my vape. very first favorite when I was a uh, little boy. I thought, oh, this is what a gentleman is. <laughs> Absolutely, so he was well dressed and everything. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, he was a murderer, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, everyone has their flaws, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was, my, my mom tells it that she was, she was changing my diaper and I had this little Dracula toy and I held it up to her face and clearly in an attempt to scare her, start whispering, Dracula. <laughs> so here, you know, my mom thought that she had a, a horrifying child and I never proved her wrong. What's the festival experience like? It's It's much more exciting when you're able to have some kind of screening or if you're in a gallery show or things like that where then you can actually be there, I for the festivals that I've been a part of, have not been to any in person. And so it's I'm never there and getting that part of the feedback. So it's all just kind of then what comes afterwards and reviews and things like that, which is nice. And a lot of it often is nice where it will then lead to other film festivals wanting the piece. But it's very separate for me. You know, it's like once it goes off into the world, it's I'll then Google it later <laughs> and see what comes up. But it's it feels very separate for me once it once it's out of my hands. So I often, you know, think about when I'm about to release new things, like how I want it to be seen. Um, and because it's so much of the work that I make 
creates this like huge amount of stuff that I need for each element, the props and the costumes and everything. So now I'm trying to think of like fun ways to kind of have more of a setup where you can see either the sets set up before you see the film or more of a gallery situation where you, you have characters and these are the quilts of these characters. These are the monsters that live under their beds. These are their biggest, fe- you know, and having these sculptural elements that can kind of be another way to explore the films because when you're watching them, there are so many elements that you're never going to notice because who's going to notice that I spend 12 weeks cutting grass and putting them on a piece of paper to make a grass quilt or, <laughs> you know, no one, you know, people don't notice these yeah. things, but for me, and such an important element of it that, yeah, to have more comprehensive screenings is always an exciting idea. What does inform your ideas and, and your work? A lot of it is conversational. A lot of it is, I'm a huge Shirley Jackson fan, so I'm constantly rereading <laughs> her short stories. Um, but it, for me, it's actually a mix between her and uh, Kendera, <laughs> the two of them, though he doesn't do horror. The the mix of those two is kind of what I hope all my films will be. These very beautiful, slight moments of lightness mixed with these horrifying moments that you have no idea where they came from. <laughs> um, so I'm currently actually, which is what I'm making my replacement faces for in pre-production to do a short that I'm then hoping will become more of an anthology of shorts that all center around this really eccentric family who are all haunted in their own ways. <laughs> so each short is going to be about either an inciting incident for their haunting or a part along the way. So much of it for me is these small details and both in the actual making of things and also in the dialogue. So that's currently what I'm, I'm working on these screenplays now that are just trying to be these short conversations, a lot of which I've had before or have thought too extensively <laughs> about and trying to figure out how to go from there. So it, it kind of varies. For Creepy Christmas, obviously, I had the nice word that was handed to me. It can be a challenge when you're going into projects that are so it takes so long to complete to be like, okay, this is it. This is the theme that I need, you know, so so that's why I'm excited about doing these smaller projects now that then can become a part of a larger endeavor. It would be wonderful if at some point I could afford to have a team to help with building certain elements. But overall, it's all just so connected in my process that I, at this point, would even know how to disconnect. For my feature, for the live action portion, I hired a good friend of mine as a DP, and it was wonderful. But I don't know how that would translate to animation. For me... You know, I I was a part of this article from the Hudson Film Commission about animators in the Hudson Valley and how quarantine changed their lives. And and for me, you know, the most depressing block of the article, I was like, well, my life's the same. I'm an animator. I can't really leave my house. I have a lot of work to do. (laughs) It's, you know, it's me working 14 hours a day trying to get stuff done to move to the next day to do the same thing over again. So... So it's a very isolating thing, um, which is, I guess, a part of the reason why I'm interested in the idea of having the screenings or openings be more of a part of it. Because for me, yeah, this the kind of filmmaking I do is incredibly insular. <laughs> so since you're doing the photography as well mm-hmm. in the directing, what's your approach? I do um, shot by shot. I figure out what exactly I need. And then often I try to get at least two or three angles of each of those shots that I need. And often I'll have a two camera set up so that I can at least try to get 
one and a half good <laughs> good shots of, uh, each time that I animate anything. A lot of it is just kind of figuring out, you know, I'll, I'll have these things built and as I'm building them, I'll often have the camera out so I can see both how much of the frame they take up, how things are looking. It's more of a mixed bag once I actually get shooting. <laughs> you know, I, I'll have a, a formalized list that I'll, of everything I need to be checking off, but often, even if I give myself which lenses to use, what style of shot I want it to be, when I'm actually then in that shot, things can change pretty rapidly. And I like to give myself that freedom and flexibility because often it's not until, you know, I put my camera down to change the lights that I realize that where the camera is, is a way more interesting thing than what I had thought of. And I love being able to run with that. Whereas if I had a crew of 15 people who are changing the lights and changing the camera setup and animating with me every time I made one of these decisions, it's a lot more complicated than just <laughs> winging it myself. Yeah, it's not as easy to to go with the feeling of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, a huge part of it for me is just kind of like letting myself often I'll have certain rules per project that I'm trying to follow that if certain characters are in it, it's over more overhead and certain characters, lower lengths, more underneath. And just certain rules that I'll try to follow or, you know, in a dream sequence, we'll use a wide lens and, and we'll try to follow things like that. But even if I have to break those rules to make it look like I'm continuing the rules, that's what I'll do. <laughs> you had mentioned earlier facial replacements. Could you tell me more about that and yes. how that works? So that's a fun style that I'm working on now. It's basically faces make roughly 24 basic facial expressions. I have a piece of paper. I can show you all of them. <laughs> It's basically seven categories that have four elements of degree, essentially, of like anger, rage, and concern, discernment. And so I personally like to use hard clay for animation. My professor always told me that claymation was like the easy way, the the easy way out. And I've never let myself get past that. <laughs> and, and it's also true for me, too. It's it makes it's what makes it a, instead of a claymation a stop motion. It's the creepy doll element that you're never going to get if you can wiggle someone's face suddenly from the side. And I like the stiffer movement. So, but I wanted more more movement in the faces. And so for a while I was exper experimenting with like composition eyes of putting real eyes onto the dolls, which I liked okay. But what I was more excited about was this idea of the replacement faces. So basically, you have you make one neutral face for a character in clay, and then you make a mold of that face. And suddenly you have basically a cookie cutter. <laughs> so then you can make these 24 separate faces and make the slight tweaks. So you're not starting from scratch each time. You have the base face, and then you make the slight changes to make the facial expressions. From there, I drill out the, the eye holes and um, have separate mouthpieces. So the mouthpieces are interchangeable amongst themselves. And then I also recreate an additional 16 mouth expressions based on movements for speaking. So by the end, I have, yeah, I have an ins insane amount of faces per character and they are attached by magnet. So you just magnet them on and off the body. The eyes stay in place and 
it's a much faster process than I would have imagined based on <laughs> everything I just said. It sounds a lot harder than it, it doesn't does. sound fast. I will acknowledge that <laughs> it sounds quite slow. I'll take your word on the Compa- fast part. I guess comparatively, I'm speaking as myself, a stop motion animator. So for, I guess a week, you know, a week and a half per character face is fast for me. <laughs> now, how do you keep track of all of these elements? You have dozens, if not hundreds, well, hundreds of elements in a film, at mm-hmm. least dozens in a scene. Do you keep that all in your head as you're moving through it or do you, do you chart it out? A lot of it I chart out. So one thing about stop motion animation is that when you take a break from it, you can very much see it in the next frame. There's such a learning curve, even if it's a thing that you're doing all the time. If you're 10 hours into animating, you're on a roll. You know what you're doing. You know exactly how to make the movement slow. But if after you finish that scene, you suddenly have to then build everything for the next scene, that could be months. <laughs> and then suddenly months later, you're animating again. And you don't want it to be the situation that you finish a fr- you finish a scene and suddenly the next scene looks as if it's animated by someone who's never done this before. So for me, I try to build as much as I can before I get started so that the animation can all happen at once. How do you know when you're done in a process like that? A lot of it is just I go crazy enough that I need to move on to the, <laughs> the next part. I, <laughs> so, you know, there's every time. I love that answer. That's a very honest answer. I Thank you for that. Yes, of course. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, you just kind of get to a point of suddenly realizing, oh, I haven't touched my camera in six months and that's what I want. I need to get to that point. And you know, if you have enough under your belt and enough of the materials done at that point, then it's a lot easier to then, you know, throw a scene together. And you can, of course, last minute be like, oh, I got to make quickly a, another notebook or I should paint this wall or add wallpaper. That's nothing compared to having 20 lists of pa- pages of every item you have to make. And then once you get into the, that rhythm, it's nicer. <laughs> a lot nicer. <laughs> so now that you've found a place of comfort with horror themes... Where are you going next with your work? So I'm very, very excited about this series of shorts that I'm doing right now. They're all very dark in their own way. Some of them one might not think is particularly dark, whereas others are, you know, hopefully going to be full out bone chilling. (laughs) So this is, yeah, it's more of a series of lineage and of, of these strange characters and how they're connected through their family and how they're kind of unable to escape the destiny of their family as being these haunted people who are very misunderstood. A lot of that too is just to, you know, once I have two or three of those short films under my belt, then I'm going to put that together and try to turn it into a feature using that for grant proposals. The challenge with doing so much of the fabrication work is that often I am called away for so long that I don't have enough time to work on my own projects. And so this is a way that I'm trying to kind of propel that forward without it taking years and years to complete. Having my mentor always said that the most important thing for you to do is to constantly be building your body of work, especially in fields like animation where things take so long. You don't want someone to come and see your work and say, love this, can I see more? And you have to say, give me three years and I'll have something for you. You know, you you wanna always be working on your library. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on now is to for the first time ever, trying to start to say no to <laughs> to jobs if I don't actually think that they're going to help or propel me in any direction and focus more on becoming a hard director because that's what I would ideally like to be doing more exclusively. That sounds scary to say no. 
doesn't it? I know. I haven't done it yet. I'm, I'm practicing saying that maybe I'll say no. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm, yeah, I'm currently working on five, four jobs because I can't, yeah, do it. I can't pull the plug. <laughs> say no. I have one full-time job that after years of manipulation and maneuvering, I've been able to turn what everyone else does into five, eight hour days into three, 12 hour days so that the majority of the days are my own. And that for me as an animator was the biggest decision I could make because it takes hours to, even if I'm at a point where I can start animating, it takes hours to set up. So if I come home every day at five, already tired from having worked eight hours, there's only so much I can get done. I'm not going to be starting to shoot. <laughs> and that's very different of, of having five days like that and two days to actually work versus having the majority of the days to myself. When I take on other jobs, like right now, <laughs> uh, right now that time obviously that then gets twisted and um, those four days then often get sucked up towards the other jobs. Again, it's for some reason, it's always a, like when it rains, a poor situation. So I did have like three months to focus just on making the faces and, and getting pretty far in the story developments for my piece. And then in a two day period, took on accidentally four more jobs. <laughs> it's like the no word. You get ready and then all of a sudden you're saying yes. <laughs> there may need to be some classes on the no word, it sounds like. It sounds like it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But it's again, because I do feel that all of those jobs go towards me becoming more skilled at what I do. That's a huge part of the reason why I can't, I feel that I can't say no, because it's really exciting to be like, okay, so I made these, this past year I had the wonderful pleasure of making two horrifying marionettes for the M. Night Shyamalan's show. <laughs> and it just that that was the first time I'd ever made marionettes and used a different style for the faces because the scale was different. And, and it's exciting to finish projects like that and be like, okay, here's a whole new kind of puppet that I know how to make now. And, and now I can go explore that in my own stuff. And so though it would be wonderful to have more time for my work and I'm trying to like gear up to a time in which I can really just be doing that more exclusively, I'm like, incre I'm incredibly grateful for both people trusting me to make these objects and for the ability to like grow my experience. One of the things I'm also wondering about is, I, as I was thinking about something you said earlier, it seems like your main collaborator would be your husband in terms of the compositions. Mm -hmm. And I did want to ask you about that. What What is that like to be collaborating on your work with your partner? Amazing. He's the best. It's incredible. I, yeah, would go really wild, <laughs> wildly insane without him. He's so helpful, even in that, you know, any he'll come in here and I'm finishing up a puppet. He has... Like kissed goodbye everything every object every puppet that I've ever made <laughs> gets a kiss of approval <laughs> and and I think it's fun for him too he's currently designing our home that we're gonna build and we'll come in here and I'm making tiny cardboard houses and he's like mm, let's let's try this porch on our house <laughs> it's like oh is this the style you like I'll try to emulate it and with the music he's just incredibly talented so it's always so fun often in for my reels i'll put old songs of his over them and people will think that it must be a soundtrack for it because his songs have almost a similar handmade quality to my my work so it's never never has he put anything over my work that i've had any questions about it's always been exactly what i wanted 
So I'm incredibly lucky. <laughs> That's wonderful to be on the same wavelength about things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely helpful. And he's, he also has some experience in animation and is a designer. So if I'm having any kind of trouble with how to animate something or the looks of things, then he'll often come and give advice. When you're, when you're done with uh, production, it seems like you have a lot of set pieces mm -hmm. and sculptures and where do they all go? It's a wide range. Some of it I hold on to. I keep a lot of the bodies. They're in some of these drawers. <laughs> um, different characters that I keep. A lot of the set pieces, unless I'm madly in love with them, I'll just get rid of. Um, partially because, even with my own work, I feel that I can get better always. So, you know, it's similar. Like I've had experiences where I've been working on an animation for four weeks and then somehow my two hard drives break and I lose all four weeks of animation but I'm at a point that I'm not instead of getting even sad or frustrated I'm like okay I now have the ability the skill and ability to know how to do this and now I can do it better and I have to think of things that way and 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 it's that's true. impressive <laughs> that, that would paralyze a lot of people I think yeah it was that much work it's hard it is hard <laughs> it's not fun but when I then do it again and see how much better it is than the first time I did it well, what can I do? I can't continue to be mad at myself or, you know, and, and I am ha have a product that I'm happy with in the end. So I'm, because I'm always kind of on the edge of like trying to get better and, and knowing that everything I do is, is making me better. It's hard for me to hold on to things uh, with too, so much, so much sentimentality, unless I know that I'm no longer going to be making puppets in the style or hands in the style. And then I keep it so that I can have the comparisons but because the final product is the film, I, I'm often a little too careless with a lot of the set pieces. <laughs> Thank you for having a conversation with me today about your work. I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you so much for coming. It's been a pleasure.